John 12, verses 1 to 11. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you will always have with you, but you do not always have me. Let me pray for us, folks. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that so often in the Bible we see that when Jesus pitches up, there's a party. And that he talks about being in heaven with you for eternity as being like a party, a great banquet. And so we thank you now that this opportunity to dig into and seek to understand Jesus' word, to meet with him through his word, is an opportunity for us to have a party, for us to experience the deep joy of knowing Christ and being guided by him and blessed by him in every area of our lives. We pray that that would be uh, what this time of of looking at your word would be like for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I thought I'd do something a little bit different uh, for you this morning and give you the chance to exercise your inner art critic um, I'm no expert when it comes to art, uh, but when, uh, well, before the kids came along, I used to enjoy a little jaunt around the odd art gallery, uh, pretending that I was very cultured and a well-rounded uh, individual. So let me invite you to have a look at this, which is uh, a painting called The Symbol. It was painted in 1881 by Victorian artist Dick, uh, no, Frank Dixie. I um, wonder what you make of it far as artworks go, might not be your cup of tea, but it's a really, really clever painting. Because down here in the left-hand, uh, left-hand corner at the bottom, there's this guy who looks like he's begging at the side of the pavement. And intriguingly, he is offering the passers-by a crucifix from this little box of knickknacks that he has. But everything in the picture is designed to draw your guy's gaze away from him, away from the beggar on the cross. So the nobleman, he's fiddling with his necklace, isn't he? And his, uh, his lady friend is, is pick, plucking an orange from the tree. And the shading is brighter on the right-hand side than on the left, where the beggar is. And I, I don't know a lot about this, but I've also been told that, that the lines of the picture are supposed to draw your eyes through the archway that the nobleman and his posse are coming through. Everything is designed to take your eyes off the cross. Only the nobleman in the picture is giving any sense, any hint of acknowledgement of his, as he looks down his no, nose at the beggar in his wares. 
As I say, it's called The Symbol. But it has a subtitle. And the subtitle is this. Is it nothing to you, all you who pass by? That is the challenge of this picture. Is it nothing to you? Is the cross nothing to you, all you who pass by? And that's the challenge of the second half of John's gospel, which we're diving into and looking at over the next few weeks in the run-up to Easter. The cross on which Jesus died. What does it mean to us? Is it nothing to us? Or could it actually mean everything and be the one thing our lives should revolve around? Well, here in John chapter 12, the shadow of the cross looms large. Uh, Jesus' death has been in the background all the way through John's gospel so far. But from this point on, it dominates the horizon. Verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany. The clock is ticking, folks. Six days. Something big is going to happen really soon, John is saying. The end of the previous chapter, we've seen the religious authorities are plotting to kill Jesus. And the people are speculating on whether Jesus would dare to pitch up in Jerusalem for the Passover with all of this going on in the background. And here he is, in Bethany, a mere stone's throw away from Jerusalem, six days before Passover. The time has come. The hour is at hand. It's six more days till D-Day. And therefore, it's time to take sides. So let's look at two people, each with very different responses to Jesus and his impending death on the cross that he's marching towards. First is Mary. And what does Mary do? She treasures Jesus with extravagant love, with extravagant devotion. As Jesus isn't just in Bethany passing through on the way to the cross. Now have a look at verse 1 again. As we start chapter 12, they are holding a resurrection thank you dinner for Jesus. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner from there. I mean, you're not kidding. Can you imagine their brother is back from the dead? I think we'll have a dinner. I think you would have a dinner, wouldn't you? But can you imagine Lazarus' sisters sending out the invitations here? Can you imagine it as it comes through the door? Dear Ken, thanks so much for coming to my brother's funeral last week. Please do come and have dinner with the man who raised him from the dead this week. Lots of love, Mary and Martha. P.S. Lazarus looks forward to seeing you. P.P.S. Can those who so kindly took his clothes to the charity shop please bring them back? Can you imagine? I mean, imagine the joy. Imagine the party. I mean, I, I don't want to stir up unnecessary emotions this morning, but what sort of dinner would you have for a beloved family member? if Jesus raised them from the dead? What would we give just to be able to pick up the phone and call them to, to hug them again? Think of the party you would throw if that became a possibility. In fact, a simple party doesn't seem enough, does it? Which is probably why we read in verse 3 that as Martha served dinner and Lazarus reclined at the table with Jesus and the other guests, Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. 
The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Folks, I've only twice in my life plucked up enough courage to go to the perfume counter at John Lewis to buy perfume. And I do tell you, as a bloke, you do need courage to run that gauntlet. But I tell you, both times I nearly had a heart attack. Perfume is eye-wateringly expensive, isn't it? It's it's ridiculous. But this stuff that I bought for Fiona, it's got nothing on Mary's spicy musk drawn from the spikenard found in the foothills of the Himalayas. Verse 5 tells us that this could have been sold for 300 denarii, which probably doesn't mean anything to you, but it's essentially a year's wages. Can you imagine? Blowing a whole year's worth of wages on Jesus' dusty feet. Well, Mary can. Mary can, because she's got her brother back. And in doing so, she has discovered the greatest gift of all, that, that life's greatest tragedy can end in triumph. Life's biggest enemy can be defeated. Death is manageable. It's still painful, don't get me wrong, but it is beatable because Jesus holds the keys to life and death. And so nothing, nothing is worth more than knowing him. And no gift is too lavish to shower on him because we get so much more back. You can't outgive God, folks. And so Mary poured out her most treasured possession in love and adoration of the Lord Jesus. And it asks the question of us, doesn't it? I guess, as those of us who live on this side of the cross and the resurrection, knowing so much more than Mary did, what would you give for Jesus? What is your most valued possession? Maybe it's our home or our bank account, our savings. Maybe it's a relationship or our children. Or for others, it might be a career. The question is, will we give it? Will we use it to honor and serve Jesus? Will we pour it out for him? Well, Mary doesn't give a second thought to giving Jesus her best. And John adds at the end of verse 3, do you see that? The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume, which tells us that Mary didn't just use a tiny little pinch of this expensive, costly stuff. No, she broke the container. She didn't hold back. The whole house was soon caught scent of what Mary had done. The aroma of Christ, so honoring to him, and so refreshing to others does not occur when we hold back. When we only give half of our heart or half of our talents, half of our tithe or our ambition or our attention or our lives. It comes by giving him everything. So folks, if you're not currently being a blessing to others, if knowing you does not make others think of him, of Jesus. If your life seems dry and unprofitable, then do what Mary did. Get down on your knees before Jesus and give him your all. Pour out your life to him. He's the life giver. He's the lover of your soul. And it's only actually in offering it all back to him that we will truly be set free to be the people he made us to be. 
But as you do that, don't expect that everyone else will join in. Or even like what you're doing. <laughs> I mean, for as, look at this. For as Mary treasures Jesus with extravagant devotion, Judas, he can't stand it. He can't stand what she's doing. So secondly, Judas despises Jesus with greedy intent. Take a look at verse 4, will you? But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Well, it seems at first glass to be a, a fairly reasonable objection, doesn't it? I mean, you might look at the, <laughs> the expensive perfume running all over the floor and going, what a waste. I could have used these resources better. But Judas isn't really concerned for the poor, is he? He was more concerned about himself. Verse 6. He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. He was a thief. And doesn't the fact... Doesn't that fact make you wonder, how could someone so close to Jesus, someone who had even been entrusted with the finances of Team Jesus, how could someone like that use apparently moral excuses to do such dishonestly evil things? Judas is a warning bell for us here, isn't he, folks? Can you hear him ringing? Money is such a temptation for us, such a temptation. So much so that money scandals are only slightly behind sex scandals as the most prominent cause of Christian leaders falling and churches being ripped apart. Which is why anyone who has responsibility for handling money here at church, we don't handle loads of money here, but anyone who does have responsibility for handling money has to do so, witnessed and signed for by another. No one is immune from temptation, folks. So we have got to help one another. We've got to protect one another from falling into it as much as we can. Judas did not betray Jesus for high-sounding principles. He did it for greed. That's what drew his heart away. But even more profoundly, Judas is missing the whole point of Mary's symbolic act, isn't she? Isn't he? Jesus has not come primarily to feed the poor. He's come to die. And so he steps in in verse 7 and says, Leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you will always have with you, but you do not always have me. Now stay with me here, people. This is the technical bit of the sermon, but it's the absolutely crucial bit. It's the crunch point. Verse 7 is is really quite a muddled translation from the original Greek it was written in, which is why you'll see a little 5 in that verse. And if you look at the footnote at the bottom uh, where that 5 is, you'll see an alternative translation suggested there. She intended intended to keep it. She intended to keep the perfume, i.e. for the day of Jesus' burial. Perfume like this would often be used. Oil and spices often used to anoint someone's body after death. But Mary's gone early and anointed Jesus while he's still alive. Now there's much speculation as to whether Mary knew exactly what she was doing here or not. But whether she did or not, the point is that Jesus' response to Judas' question is to say, no, 
No, Judas. This is the best thing Mary could have done with these resources. Okay, now just think about that. Knowing what was in Judas's heart, as we do, how would you have responded to him? I think I would have been tempted to call him out, wouldn't you? <laughs> the poor? <laughs> what, give it to the poor? <laughs> You're having a laugh. You only want it for, your, you want it for yourself, mate, don't you? But Jesus doesn't. It's almost like he takes what Jesus says, uh, uh, it's what Judas says at face value. And he says, no, Judas, you're actually wrong. Because there is actually something more important even than meeting the needs of the poor. <laughs> now, obviously, it's not that Jesus isn't concerned about the poor. <laughs> this is Jesus we're talking about. Uh, he's the champion of the poor and the needy, the widow and the orphan, the outcast and the stranger. We see that throughout the Gospels. And he calls his people to follow him and do likewise. I don't think you can be a follower of Jesus without having a heart for the poor. But Jesus is saying here, there is something bigger than material poverty going on. There is something more important. I am more important. And I am going to die. Within one week, I'm going to die to meet an even bigger need. I'm going to be stretched out on a cross to pay for the sins of the world. And therefore, Mary's use of this perfume is the best possible use of resources because it honors and proclaims my death. Jesus seems to be saying here that that our bold claims of making poverty history, this side of heaven, that's not going to happen. All those bold claims, it's not going to happen. Now, that's that's not any reason not to care for the poor. But it is a reason to prioritize in the saving work of Christ, which empowers service of the poor and rich alike through the message of the cross. The cross that Jesus prioritized himself while he was here. Folks, temporal poverty is a terrible thing. But there is something worse than poverty. An eternity without God is worse. Which is why I would want to encourage any Christian here to only give to Christian relief organizations like Tear Fund and Anglican International Development, AID, or Barnabas Fund, but not to secular ones like WaterAid or Comic Relief. The cross must control every aspect of our lives, including our giving to meet needs. Jesus is not presenting us with, with competing loyalties here of, of, of spiritual needs over here, material needs and giving over here. No, we must try our very best to do both together. Which is why here at St. Joseph's, well, it's one of the reasons why here at St. Joseph's we, we do the Christians Against Poverty Debt Center that Joanna mentioned earlier on. Because through it, we're, we're meeting the needs of the poor but we're also praying for and and offering folk the opportunity to come and hear the gospel. We're doing them together. This is also why every event, every program that we do as a church has to have Jesus' priorities, gospel priorities right at the very heart of them. And so therefore, Kids Zone and Fry Up and women's events and men's events, which we've not been so good at doing, I apologize about it, but all events, including future events, they all need to provide folks with the opportunity to encounter the message of the cross. 
through a talk or a testimony, or at the very least an invitation to come and explore it somewhere else. The message of the cross is to be prioritized in everything we do. And you see, folks, Mary's action here in John 12, it is not a waste. (laughs) Not at all. Because it spotlights the message that brings hope to the lost and saves sinners and changes the world. And that should be wonderfully encouraging for those of us who serve here at the church. (laughs) It's so easy to think of our acts of service as amounting to something of little or no significance in the end. For many of us, time is the costliest thing we have to offer. And so the time we spend serving Jesus and teaching the children and the young people, as some of you are going to do, be doing in the next service, or, or in leading Bible studies or in evangelizing or in, or in sending out uh, leaflets um, to people inviting them to Easter services, which I hope a few people will volunteer to do, or in va- uh, praying or in serving teas and coffees or in organizing rotors, doing the creche, uh, music group. I hope I'm, I'm missing someone out. I'm really sorry. Organizing the walking group. <laughs> um, In preparing talks and preaching, I know only too well the devil tempts me every time I sit down to prepare one of these sermons. He tempts me to think, it really doesn't matter what you say. But here is Mary pouring out a valuable offering to Jesus and none of it is wasted or inconsequential because it honors his death. It proclaims that message. And so all of the time we pour out for Jesus as we pour into serving him, it's a pleasing aroma to our Lord and Master. It matters now and forever. The cross is not nothing to us because it is everything to Jesus. It's why he came. And so I pray for every one of us this Easter that we will be like Mary rather than Judas and sit at Jesus' feet. Every time Mary is mentioned in the Gospels, do you know this? Every time she's mentioned, she's at his feet. I pray we'll be like that, listening to him, obeying him, marveling at his sacrifice on the cross, and holding a party because he rose from the dead and can therefore be trusted with our death and the death of our loved ones. So that more and more, we will abandon ourselves in lavish praise and worship of his name. And then we should pray that now. Don't you? In fact, that's what we're going to do um, in song. Uh, We're going to pray in this song, uh, our our final song of uh, this service that offers up our lives to the Lord. And whether we sing it or we say it, it's, it's not a thing to be done lightly, actually. So let's just have a little look at the words on our service sheet that we're going to sing. And have a moment of quiet just to make those words our own. Ask the Lord to make those words a prayer, not just that is on our lips, but goes deep down into our hearts. Let's just take a moment. <laughs>